0: Dumelang Avusheni and Hello hi welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a no holds spot podcast that is proudly brought to you by Healthful Mzanzi. I'm your host, Nolu Tandung and I'm here to hold your hand as you seek the answers to those pussy bumps and suspicious lumps you dare not speak of in public. There's a lot going on. Eskom, fuel and food prices. We just can't seem to catch a break. Surely grown folks are not the only ones feeling the stress. Kids must be too. This week we received this voice note from a worried mother in Greifontaine. Hi, my teen is 17 and turning 18 this year. For the past year or so, we've been dealing with mental health issues, but it wasn't until recently that I realized our serious disease. Our depression has its highs and lows but it's always at the back of my mind she feels like she's constantly just running away from her problems and only feels okay when distracting herself do you have any advice on dealing with mental health and our children we got you sis this week we're joined by social worker tamzin alfino tamzin is a counselor who offers a supportive space for reflection growth and healing to children adolescents and adults experiencing mild to moderate mental health symptoms that impact their day-to-day lives. Our first question to you, Tamsin, would be when does a teen need psych testing? And when does a parent know that their child needs it?
1: Just in terms of psych testing itself, the field of psychology is so broad in that when you're talking about testing, it can cover so many different aspects because we have educational psychology and then we have your clinical psychology, which would be more sort of therapeutic. So, I would say it would really depend on what exactly the parents' concerns are. So, if you have a child who, for example, is struggling at school, struggling academically, and struggling with things like concentration, distractibility, not necessarily meeting the requirements in terms of their schoolwork, then you're seeing an educational psychologist would obviously be the best option for them. But when a parent sees that their child is struggling more emotionally, Then seeing a psychologist or any mental health professional, really, for some form of therapeutic assessment in terms of what their needs are, is where they would then kind of lean towards having their child speak to a professional. But it could really be for any number of things. In terms of deciding when is it that a child actually needs to see a mental health professional, it would really be about how severe their experience is and how severe the concerns are for the child. So if they really are struggling in terms of just being able to cope with what we would consider normal childhood things, then it isn't necessary to wait before having your child speak to somebody. And I think that's where a lot of the difficulties come in for parents is making that decision because unfortunately, there is still such a stigma around the need for mental health services or accessing mental health services, whereas, you know, going to see your GP or going to see a different health professional for something that's more physical is still more acceptable in terms of just how society views the need for professional intervention, so to speak. But I would say that for a parent to decide that their child needs something in terms of mental health intervention is really specific to the child. And most parents know their child better than anybody else. In some cases, it might be that the recommendation will come from a teacher or from a family member or from somebody else who's kind of within the close circle of the child and can see that there's an issue or difficulty that the parent perhaps is not able or willing to acknowledge at that time. And so if that kind of recommendation is made, then I would say parents definitely need to not see that as something that, that's a bad thing or could benefit from having somebody to talk to. I almost advocate for their not necessarily having to be a severe need before accessing some sort of mental health support and service for a child.
0: You know, sometimes parents would be also say kind of triggered if you mention, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's something wrong with your child, like they've got these mm-hmm. outbursts and stuff like that. You need to attend to that. They always can't help but mm-hmm. feel, you know, like attacked almost. How even mm-hmm. do you kind of bring up that kind of conversation? Also,
1: when it comes to parenting, it's difficult not to. You've created this life, you've created this being, and it's difficult not to see them as kind of an extension of yourself. And so, where a child is struggling often in speaking to parents and you know once I've managed to get past that kind of initial defensive stage because it is a defense it's an automatic defense if somebody says you know your child needs something I think a lot of parents then automatically go to the space where they must need it because I have somehow created this need in them in having done something wrong or not having done enough of something and that must be why my child needs this kind of input or support but Again, when advocating for children to access mental health services, I often say to parents, you know, if your child had a physical condition that was outside of your control, it wouldn't necessarily be a second thought to take them to the doctor and have it assessed and see if there is a way to help them. And mental health should be no different because at the end of the day, it is still in some cases a a biological or physical cause, hormonal imbalances or chemical imbalances that do kind of contribute towards things like depression or anxiety in children. There can be any number of factors that could lead to a child struggling emotionally or socially and getting them access to the support that they need should be as commonplace to us as it would be if they were struggling with something that was purely physical. I'm hopeful that society is moving more towards an acceptance of mental health support being something that's seen as common as the physical support of children as well in terms of their development and their growth, because it all goes hand in hand and we can't serve the one and not the other the child needs to be treated holistically, and that includes emotionally.
0: Tamsin, can you tell us at what age are children more vulnerable to depression and
1: anxiety? Depression and anxiety is something that any child at any age really can experience, and it can be caused by any number of things. Like I said, in some cases, there can be a physiological component in the sense of it's something that actually within their body or chemical imbalance that can put them more at risk, there can be genetic factors. And then there's also the child's experience. So trauma or neglect or abuse or loss, anything that is a significant event in a child can trigger depression and anxiety. And that could obviously happen at any age, but children are more likely to be diagnosed with the mental health condition like anxiety or depression, the older they get. And I'm not entirely sure what the science is behind that, but I think that A lot of it is the changes that happen for adolescents and teenagers, the hormonal changes, the social changes, the physical bodily changes, and just the expectation and pressure that gets put on them as they go through that transition in that specific life phase. Society tends to become a lot less forgiving in terms of the expectations on teenagers versus young children and the support that, that tends to be offered as they get older seems to become less or at least kids tend to be less willing to access the support that is available, even in terms of, you know, speaking to parents, speaking to teachers, reaching out to other adults in their lives. Again, in terms of what society says in terms of being strong and the stigma around mental health, that older kids, I suppose, are less likely to actually speak about what they feel or express it. And so become more vulnerable to conditions like depression or anxiety. Or in some cases, it might be that they've just been masking it for so long and can't any longer. So even if it is something that they'd had experience with as younger children, the kind of the cracks start to show as they now get into the teenage years and kind of go through that transition between the age of 12 and 18.
0: Something that I've kind of always wondered about, we live in a very digital age. You can find Mm -hmm. anything on the internet. Something that's kind of uh, arisen is people are saying that we're under threat because of men with podcasts who just spew all of these ideologies and stuff like that. How much of a role does social media play in terms
1: of our kids' mental health as well? Wow, social media has definitely become something that is a very contentious issue for parents and teenagers and kids in general. And when I say contentious, I mean in terms of giving rise to a lot of conflicts A lot of the parents that I speak to say that some of the biggest fights they have with their kids is around gaming or getting them to get off their phones or their devices. And it's tricky because the thing is that, you know, we are living in a much more digital age than most of us as adults can remember having as kids. And we forget that they don't know anything else. If you were to say to a 10-year-old that there was a time where there was no Google or there was a time where there was no YouTube, they don't know about a reality like that because to them, that's not possible. It's always been around. And it definitely has its benefits. The educational stuff available on social media, it's incredible the type of things that kids can actually learn from it. Having gone through a pandemic now, I was just thinking about that myself the other day. Had we gone through the pandemic, let's say 15 years ago, which I mean, was 2007, I think most of us think 15 years ago. And then it's like, oh, that must have been the 80s. No, it was 2007, guys. (laughs) And it wasn't even that long ago. But Facebook had just come out. Hardly anybody was even on Facebook in 2007. Skype had just become a thing, but they didn't necessarily have video calling. So imagine if we'd gone through the pandemic 15 years ago. Many of us would literally not have seen the face of our family members for months during lockdown, because the only way to communicate would have been to call, and in some cases on a landline, to think of how kids would have coped during that time, because so many of them then, for the first time, actually became exposed to social media, because now five-year-olds were having to WhatsApp call granny and grandpa just to be able to speak to them, where. That might not have been the case before. And a lot of kids actually were made familiar with social media a lot younger than what their parents would have liked them to be. Because of the pandemic, they had to go online school or they had to be able to communicate with their friends via WhatsApp. TikTok and Instagram are still the two major contenders when it comes to teenagers and younger children now with social media. But a lot of them had to use Google for the first time and YouTube because they needed to be able to do things online. And so that then became the norm for them. And as the pandemic started to phase out, expecting them to now go back to a norm that wasn't normal anymore, it wasn't as easy as saying, "Okay, now you're not going to use your phone anymore, because now they've become used to that being the way that they communicate in a big way. It was a major benefit that we had access to that. Because like I said, you know, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to keep in touch with many of the people we did because of social media. But at the same time, it kind of has created a dependency that parents struggle to get their kids to realize how to live without. And so, you know, a lot of the times it also it sets up this unrealistic expectation or understanding of what's happening out there in the real world. And I say that in inverted commas because a lot of what is on social media is not real. And so kids are comparing themselves to somebody posting a picture and everything looks perfect and you're not perfect, but you don't see that behind the scenes. That was a hundred photos later that the person decided that was the one they were going to post.
0: How do you differentiate between mental illness and what
1: is just being like a teenager or just like teenage angst? That is a question that I actually do get asked quite often parents will often say once their child goes into that teenage phase, it's like they've just morphed into this unrecognizable creature. It is difficult to kind of keep up sometimes with what is a normal, and I say that also in inverted commas because I don't tend to use the word normal. I think normal is quite subjective. But, you know, what is normal teenage drama and angst? As you said, when should I be worried as a parent that this is not normal? Again, it's child-specific. And as a parent, you've had these first 10, 11 years, because that's also another thing that a lot of parents believe that puberty and, and the teenage years starts around 13. But no, the process actually kicks in a lot sooner. There's a lot of things happening underneath the surface with both boys and girls. Differently though, but I mean, from as young as eight, nine years old, the process of puberty can already be starting. So by the time they get to 13, that may be when the volcano erupts, so to speak, in terms of a lot of the behavioral changes that come about. But I always say then it's child specific. If you notice that there's a major shift or a drastic change in what your child's kind of typical behavior is, then that's something that obviously is, is a warning sign It's worrying. But when we're looking at mental health conditions, we're always then looking at the intensity and the duration. So how intense are your child's symptoms and how long have they been persisting? Because teenagers are going to have mood swings. They're going to have crying spells. They're going to have meltdowns. They're going to have anger outbursts. They're going to take risks. They're going to do things that we would consider to be totally illogical and not make sense whatsoever. But that's the kind of things that teenagers do because they have an increase in their impulsivity and that kind of behavior does tend to be explosive at, at times. But it's a matter of, is this something that is completely over the top? And is it something that's going on consistently and for some time? If they're having mood swings that that chop and change and as the wind blows that can be something that would be considered normal but if it's kind of a low mood for a long time they're struggling with this kind of pervasive sadness that just doesn't seem to lift very low sense of self-worth and critical attitude towards themselves consistently and persistently then that's kind of where we start we start to worry and start thinking you know is this maybe more than just your typical teenage struggle.
0: What tips do you have for parents to have crucial conversations with their teens about mental health? And also what what are some of the signs to be concerned about that would require them to reach out to a
1: professional instead? Having those conversations as early as possible and developing emotional intelligence is something that I'm hugely passionate about. And it's more critical now post-pandemic than it ever has been before. When I talk about emotional intelligence, I'm talking about teaching children a feelings vocabulary, getting them comfortable with being able to express their emotions, creating that self-awareness that they can identify what they're feeling when they feel it. And then that verbal expression, being comfortable to express what they're feeling when they're feeling it, and then also be prepared to accept the response. And for that to be something that becomes commonplace in the home, it needs to start as young as possible because it's something that we need to be focusing on teaching children how to do. And I find in my work that that's the thing that I find so interesting is that as kids get older, there's this expectation that they are supposed to know how to understand their feelings and how to express their feelings. But if you haven't been taught how to do something, how are you supposed to do it? So often, I'll hear a parent say something like, "Use your words." But what does that mean? What words am I supposed to use and how am I supposed to use them if I haven't been taught how? I often say, just like teaching children how to brush their teeth, tie their shoelaces, ride a bike, they need to be taught how to know what feelings are. For example, disappointed is not the same as rejected and furious is not the same as irritated. And by being able to name these feelings and identify the differences in them, that's the first stepping stone to being able to help children express what they're feeling when they feel it. And starting early is key. Having said that, it's never too late. I think with older kids, for example, like teenagers, the difficulty is that a lot of times parents will expect that we've never really been a family that talks about our feelings. But now at 16, when you've become explosive and unbearable, It's expected that you should be able to express yourself in a way that is not hurtful or not explosive or not detrimental or dangerous to yourself in terms of some of the things that teenagers do. But that's the type of thing that needs to be taught. And if it hasn't, it's not too late. But then it can't also be something that's forced on the child. We're going to have a sit-down family meeting now and everybody needs to talk about their feelings because that can feel very threatening to a teenager that's never had to do that before. So there I would say start small. Play games that have an emotional component to it. So it could be there are a number of different actual games that have an emotional feelings focus, but you can also kind of find resources online that have questionnaires. And it can be about celebrities. It can be about something that they are actually interested in and meeting them where they are at. Even I sometimes still roll my eyes when I listen to some of the things that kids tell me about because I can't understand half of it. But I find that getting them to engage with me, a lot of the time, all I have to do is show an interest in what it is that they are interested in and getting them to teach me about it and explain it to me then almost opens up that opportunity to have conversations around other things. But kids, they're a lot smarter than we give them credit for, especially teenagers who think they know everything, but actually they can teach us a couple of things. And if we allow them to believe that they can teach us a couple of things, then we're meeting them where they are at. And then they're more likely to be willing to open up and speak about things that When the big issues come along that they don't necessarily know how to deal with, they're more likely to come and ask for help and approach us as adults if we've shown them that we are open to listening and learning from them as well. You know, it's difficult because we spend so much time wanting to prepare kids for the world that we live in, but we also need to be prepared to learn from them because as adults, they're not going to be living in the world we live in now. And so we need to be learning from them in terms of whether it is online gaming or social media or whatever the case may be, that reality for them, what's their reality now is more likely to be part of their reality as adults than what our reality as adults is now. Trying to get them to stop wanting to do the things that they do because we want them to be able to kind of live as adults in our world is not really realistic but if we can find that balance between okay so what is going to be acceptable to me as the parent and you as the teenager we can find some sort of a common ground that almost is the very start of a more positive way forward for that relationship for both for both parties i think that in any case where a parent is struggling you asked about what are the signs to be concerned about that would Require a parent to reach out for professional help. I would say at any point where a parent finds that they are struggling and being able to acknowledge that struggle is the first step. And like we were saying at the very beginning, that defensiveness is what often makes it difficult because no parent wants to admit or acknowledge or feel that they are struggling or failing in terms of their child. But at the same time, there are certain things that children need that extra assistance with. And it it is a strength on the part of any parent to be able to say, this is a bit more than what I can deal with in terms of parenting my child. I need to get assistance from somebody who's not going to be looking to parent them. They're going to be looking to assist them professionally. And that's always going to be a strength, being able to get to that point of, this is something that I need that's going to be for both of us. Because as parents, you are in it together with your child. And so any assistance or mental health support that you seek for your child is not only going to benefit them, it's going to benefit the relationship with them in the long run. Because at some point, the goal is for them to become a healthy, happy, functioning adult who goes on to parent their own children one day. And then lots of parents get their sweet revenge <laughs> when their children become parents and then they can find, you know, it goes full circle. And they finally understand what all of the fuss was about in terms of trying to protect them from themselves as teenagers. But that's the point that I would say more so than if a child is struggling, if a parent is struggling, you don't need to wait until it gets to the point where, you know, it's severe before seeking assistance, even if it is just for yourself as a parent, without your child necessarily having to get the professional support as a parent, you are able to get that professional support and guidance and assistance and even just an ear to listen so that you can offload and vent and have a safe space of your own in order for you to be the safe space for your child. And I always see that as a strength whenever parents are able to do that. I also say make a list. When you have a worry about your child, make a list for yourself in terms of what the worry is. Why it's worrying you? And this is again where the emotional intelligence thing comes in. Why is it a worry for you? What is it that you are wanting to change or to have done about what it is that's worrying you? And then reflect on where that's coming from. So is this a worry that it's your child is going to repeat the same mistakes you did and you don't want them to? And then is this something of it's a me issue, not a them issue and be able to then work through whether professional assistance is needed or if it's something that actually needs to be worked through within the self first and then assisting the child will come on its own. In a lot of cases that sometimes does happen where things get entangled in terms of the worries for both parents and their children. And I often say, you know, start with a list. And if at the end of that list, you're able to see, oh, I think this is more me issue. And do what you need to do in order to resolve that issue for yourself. And then the matter or the concerns with your child might actually resolve themselves. But if you find afterwards that actually this is something that is my child, then you'd know what the steps are in terms of getting the necessary support and intervention from that point for your child specifically.
0: Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Tamson. For more on teens and mental health, check out healthformzanzi.co.za. Now remember, if you are in a medical bind and looking for a shoulder to cry on, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. You can also send us a WhatsApp on 76 454 I would never blue tick you babes. Mental health is important at every stage of life, from childhood and adolescence through adulthood. Tamsin is absolutely on the money when she tells us that we should prioritize our children's mental health. That brings us to the end of episode 50 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by healthworm Zanzi From me, Lulu Lakani. have a great week and remember to show your girl some love by sharing this podcast with a friend.